sing out of the blue hymnal. We're going to sing number 260. 260. 260. glad you can sing out that third verse amen and if you can't it's not too late to get saved today today be a good day to get saved amen we're all going to stand if you can we're going to sing 265 265 
Man, keep your hymnals open to 265 if you would right there. Go ahead and sit. I'm sorry. Go ahead and sit. Now, we're going to ask a, a question here. No pressure to anybody, you know, Navy veterans or anything here. <laughs> Mindy was looking this up here saying, you know, a lot of times we sing these songs, and sometimes you don't know what you're, you're singing about. You know, this morning I mentioned a Zephyr. How many of you all know what a Zephyr is? Okay, but growing up in Colorado, they would talk about zephyrs. That was a regular news item because it, it meant a warm wind and, the, and it usually meant that the snow was melting, okay? And so they would talk about zephyrs. And uh, so it's good for us to know that. This song, obviously, was probably written by a seaman or a Navy person, okay? And it talks about in the second verse, the last of the verse, where it says, Not an angry wave shall our bark overflow. Anybody know what a bark is? Guesses, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly that. That's exact. That's exactly right. I would have never thought about that. Technically, there is a particular type of ship, the old three sail, the square sail, three sail. Supposedly, that was a bark itself. Maybe that was a term for it. But he's exactly right. And so it's talking about the waves aren't going to over or throw our ship, folks. Who's the ship of your salvation? Amen. And I got to tell you, there's not a thing that can overflow his bark. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. It's good for us to think about these when we when you think about singing these songs. Um, just a couple of announcements. Uh, uh, if you do want to support uh, meals for um, uh, Brother Taylor and his family, uh, please do sign up. Let Mindy know. And then today is the last day uh, for us to get the discount rate. If you want to go to the marriage conference, please do let us know before the end of the night. We'll get you signed up for that. Okay? We're going to sing number 214, 214. That's, I didn't take up offering, did I? That's all right. <laughs> Does anybody need to give offering? All right, we're good. If you do, oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> We're going to take up offering right after this, if any of you would like to pray about that. Amen. But we'll, we'll take it up after this, okay? Two, uh, 214.
volunteers. There we go. Amen. And Brother Jim, if you would, ask the Lord's blessing in the offering, please. Heavenly Father, just so thankful to meet here tonight. Think about the truths of these uh, songs that we sing them. And uh, Lord, we thank you that we can uh, think about the, 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 the truth of all the, 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 your word that was going to be preached tonight. Yes, Lord. We do pray, Lord, that uh, you would just bless this offering. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver. And just ask in name, pray. Amen. Amen. Six, one hundred and twenty six. One hundred and twenty six. Genesis chapter 14, I believe. Genesis 14. <clears throat> All right, Genesis chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 1 just for context here. But we've been looking in the last few Sunday nights about how that God witnesses his truth of the person of Jesus Christ, who is that seed, that Savior, that promised Son, the Messiah, the Anointed One, whatever you want to call Jesus, if you will. we got to remember that Jesus is the focus of all of creation. In a sense, he was kind of put in the middle of time. I think, I think ultimately we'll find he's pretty close to dead center in the middle of time by the time time is over. But um, if you will, the whole purpose behind the Word of God and the revelation of God is so that we could recognize Him and call upon Him as Savior when the time comes. And we saw, if you will, uh, how that there was a lineage, there was a line that went, you know, from the time of Adam. Adam walked and talked with God in the garden. He could tell all of his sons and grandsons and great-grandsons. And he literally could go down to... Uh, uh, Noah's father, just it's Lamech, right? Lamech, okay, if I remember right. And uh, he actually, up to Noah's father, could have talked to Adam if he wanted to, if, if the, the technology or the ability, the location was able. He could have talked to him and lived in his lifetime. 
And, uh, and then, of course, Noah and his sons, they, they knew all that history and that testimony, and then they brought that and gave that to their sons and their grandsons all the way down to the time of Abraham. And then Abraham, uh, that's when God began to uh, have a, a, a relationship with a family, if you will, and he began to use them as the stewards for the oracles of God. We, we saw how that Israel was given the stewardship for the word of God, for the Bible, for the utterances of God, if you will. And last week we saw how that even in the millennium, when of course we're going to have preserved word of God, and of course they're going to be able to see Jesus, but lest they don't understand who Jesus is and what he has done for them, he is going to be the only one in eternity that bears scars. We're going to be able to see the scars of our Savior for all of eternity. I asked that question this morning, how long uh, uh, is Jesus Christ a human being? And the answer is forever. Folks, right now, a human being is sitting on the throne of heaven. Amen. And he will always be the God-man. Forever changed, never to be the same. Amen. He is the God-man. And he condescended, if you will. He loved us so much that he condescended to empty himself and to take on flesh, if you will. And that flesh is scarred forever. And I don't know about you, but I don't think you'll ever be able to look at Jesus without gratitude and, and maybe that deep sense of understanding of what he did. We don't, we don't fully appreciate sometimes the extent that he went to to save our souls. And aren't you glad, amen, what he did for us? And so, if you will, the Word of God and the revelation of God, what we've seen so far is for the whole purpose of us being able to recognize who Jesus is. Now, I want you to know we live in a world today that is looking for a Messiah. We're living in a world today that is looking for a Savior. And the problem is, if you read their literature, you're you're like, that's not any Messiah I ever read about. Uh, we know this, that there is going to be an anti-Christ, that whenever we talk about anti-Christ, the word anti means against or a substitute, if you will. And so instead of the real Christ, there's going to be an anti-Christ, and the world's going to receive him, and yet the thing that just astounds me is God has said, no, the Christ is going to look like this, and he's going to say this, and he's going to do this, and this is when he's going to do it, if you will. And the problem is, is they're going to be blind to all that. We'll, we'll look at that momentarily. And what tragedy when they take and they choose the wrong Christ. You see, God didn't explain who Christ is to us uh, just one way. He didn't didn't take and and just give one clue. He gave clue after clue after clue and measuring device after measuring device so that when Jesus came, you could take and you could go like this, you could go like this, you could go like this, and you could say, that fits the description. Amen. Amen. And you saw this morning, if you were here this morning, you see that some people, even when they see him for who he is, reject him for who he is, because they kind of say, I kind of like it the way it is. Uh, The sad part about that is, is maybe they should read the end of the book, but then again, there's their problem. They're not reading the book. Amen. And and so, if you will, we we want to talk about another tool that God gives us tonight for being able to recognize who Christ is, and that is the tool of types in the Bible, Okay. There's what are called types and anti-types. Jesus is the anti-type, meaning every type is a partial picture of who Jesus is, okay? And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the type, okay? There is no perfect type. There is no one person who say, that's exactly like Jesus is. No, 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 you can't do that because when it's exactly like Jesus is supposed to be, it'll be Jesus, okay? Sounds kind of silly to say, <laughs> okay? But you remember, it's interesting to me, that you take and you think about, where are we in the book right here? I, I, I had you go to Genesis chapter 14. Folks, we're only two chapters removed from when God, if you will, invited uh, Abraham to follow him by faith to a land that he said, I'll give to you if you just trust me. Amen? The promised land, right? And so if you will, the Bible describes Abraham as the father of the faithful. Okay, why? Because he gave us, if you will, the the role model or the exemplar, the thing that we look to. If you want to learn how to follow God and trust God, learn from Abraham. And by the way, learn to fail, but learn to get over it and get it right the next time. And by the way, he got it right when it mattered, did he not? Uh, Take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, okay, and sacrifice him up to me 
uh, on Mount Moriah. And the Bible says he got up early in the morning, and by the way, he was well prepared, and he drew the dagger, and he was ready to do what God said, knowing, the Bible says in the book of Hebrew, that God could raise him from the dead. Why? Isaac can't die. Why? Because he has to be the father of the Messiah who is to come. Amen. That's faith. That's understanding, if you will. Amen. But before all this, it was either what Adam knew, what Noah knew, and now we come up to Abraham, who is our model for true faith. He is the one who gives us that next generation of the Word of God, okay, or understanding about who Christ is. And so it's interesting that we're in chapter 14, just to remove, when God himself introduces a type. Now, I want you to know, a lot of people argue about types, okay? And they'll say, well, you're just, that, you're just imagining those um, folks, I think I'm going to show you, I'll prove to you. I'm not imagining it because God's the one that said this is a type. I'm sorry. I, I want to stamp and praise there. Amen. <laughs> I, I, I get uh, weary sometimes when people talk about, well, that's not appropriate. That's not right. Hey, God's the one that put it in there. Amen. All right. So you'll see this here. Notice what he says, and let's get some history here, and then we'll get into it. In verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, uh, Chedelomaro, anyhow, somebody help me, Ched, I usually practice these, I didn't practice that one, Ched or Leomer, there you go, king of Elam, that would be the Persian realm today, he says, entitled king of nations, these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and uh, Shemerber, king of Zeboim, and uh, the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served <laughs> that king from Elam. Amen. <laughs> it says, and uh, 13 years, uh, and in the 13th year they rebelled. Okay. By the way, he's the bad guy in this story, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah are actually the good guys okay, in this, in this particular account. And the Bible says, uh, uh, it says, uh, and in the 14th year came, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it, it bugs me not to be able to say this, Chedor Leomar, there you go, and the kings that were with him, and smote Ref, uh, the Rephims and Ashtaroth, uh, Karnaim, and the Zuzims, and Ham, and the Emims, and uh, in Sheva Kirithaim. Whew. Let's have an invitation. <laughs> Amen. It says, And the Horites in the Mount Seir, and El Paran, which is the wilderness. And they returned and came to uh, in Mishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites, and dwelt in uh, Hazazon Tamar. It says, And there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zorar, and they joined battle with them in the valley of Siddim. Oh, man. <laughs> with, <laughs> have you all ever read this before? <laughs> you, you guys are really leaving me hanging here. I appreciate it. It says, with Chedero Lamar, the king of Elam, and with title king of nations, and Amraphel, the king of Shinar, and Ariok, the king of Elisar, four kings with five. All right, so there's four kings against five kings. Y'all see that? They rebelled after 13 years of the 14th year. They started a war, okay? By the way, what's he calling these people? Four kings against five kings. There's one great king, okay, the one that I can't pronounce from Elam, amen? And then uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, are, are the, the big players here. And the Bible says in verse 10, it says, And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, which dwelt in Sodom, and his goods and departed. Now they're in trouble. Okay? Abraham can ignore all this until they take Lot. Y'all understand that? The Bible says in verse 13, And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschol, and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. 
It says, and when Abram heard that his brother had taken, was taken captive, by the way, his brother, his nephew, okay, you've got to remember these relations. He says, he armed his, excuse me, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318, and pursued them to Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is, in the, uh, is on the left hand of Damascus, and uh, brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Whew. Have y'all, y'all need to do your devotions in Genesis 14 this next week, Amen. And go back and read that for yourself. There was a war, okay? Five kings against four. They made the mistake of taking Lot. And Abram raises up 318 soldiers trained in his house and goes out and wins the victory, gets everything back. Amen? Praise the Lord. I could have just saved time and done that. Verse 17, the Bible says, The king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and the kings that were with him, and at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Okay? He's a king priest, and he comes from Salem. Today we'd probably call that area Jerusalem. Okay? City of Jerusalem, that's what Jerusalem means. Okay? City of peace. And so he's the king of peace. He's the king of that city, okay? And the Bible says here, he says, uh, in verse uh, uh, verse 18, I'll read again. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was uh, the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. By the way, do they, serve, do they worship the same God? Yeah, right there. Said they worship the same God. And, a ble- and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and gave him tithes of all. And the rest of that is King of Sodom saying, here, let me give you some spoil for, for winning the battle. And he says, I don't want anything from your hand, lest you say you enriched me, because God's the one that gave me the victory, and God's the one that gives me my wealth. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to take and to open your word tonight. And Father, just help us to receive strength in our faith to know the one in whom we believe. Father, the one that which is to come. And Father, just uh, if we can, help us to give a warning to those who might be looking for the wrong one. Because they're not looking with the tools and the weapons of, of faith that you give us through your word. Father, be with those who are apart from us. You know every need. And just receive all the glory tonight. We ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I do want to preach about tonight um, recognizing Christ, how to recognize Christ. Now, I said that he uses types, okay? And I said that God is the one that introduced the thought that you need to look at this King Melchizedek. And, and by the way, he's not just a king, and he, but he's a king priest. Do we have any king priests here tonight? Six of us. Some of you all need to hit the altar. Uh, if you read the book of Revelation, folks, we are kings and priests unto Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, you are a king. You will rule with him. And uh, you are also a priest in the sense that you stand as an intercessor or a mediator between God and, and the lost. Okay. And so the Bible tells us that we too are kings and priests. Who else is a king and priest? Very important. I hear whispers. Somebody say it with confidence. There's one more, guys. Jesus, thank you. Okay, and he is a king and priest. But the Bible tells us what type of king and priest. Keep yourself here because we're going to come back, okay? But go, if you will, to Psalm 110. Okay, go to Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, um, we could read the whole thing. And, uh, but the key verse for us right now is verse 4, okay? Verse 4, he says this. He says, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God is the one that introduces this term describing Christ. And I'll show you this. It's very clearly Christ. As a matter of fact, it's easy enough to see if you just go to verse 1. Because verse 1 is still talking about this same person who is going to sit on a throne, okay, and who is going to conquer all his enemies. 
By the way, we know this because we believe in him. This is Jesus Christ, folks. But you're familiar with this one. Even Jesus used this one talking about himself, okay? But in verse 1, David says this. It says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Meaning, uh, David, you just sit over there, and I'm going to conquer all your enemies, and then I'll sit on the throne, okay? And so if you will, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus uses this to describe himself, okay? He, he, he questions the Pharisees who saying, well, how can you be older than Abraham? He says, well, you might want to remember that uh, uh, he's quoted this verse right here. He's talking about the Lord said unto my Lord. He said, who was David talking about? And he says, he was talking about me, okay? And so, if you will, Jesus is the one that gives us the interpretation saying, that is talking about Jesus Christ. So, down in verse 4, he is talking about Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, this, if you will, if you look at it, is a psalm of Jesus reigning on the earth. In verse 1, he says he's going to defeat all his enemies. In verse 4, he says he's going to be a priest like unto Melchizedek. In verse 6, he says, And he shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. And folks, have you read about when he comes as king of kings and lord of lords, and he defeats the armies of the earth with the sword of his mouth? Come on now, amen? And uh, if you want to read uh, uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, it talks about his utter destruction of his enemies and the nations that come against him in the last days. This is clearly a psalm concerning Jesus Christ. Now, uh, uh, go to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6. And if you will, the book of Hebrews, uh, we don't know who the author is. A lot of people speculate. I, I think I've told you in the past, I personally believe Paul wrote it. But if I find out he didn't, um, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. You all understand? But I, I believe Paul wrote it. But uh, it's, a, it's a letter to Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews. It's, it's, it's talking about who it's addressed to, okay? And so it's talking about Jewish believers that know about Messiah, know what they're looking for, uh, what they're supposed to be looking for, and many of them haven't turned to Christ yet. And so, if you will, he's trying to take and to help them understand who Jesus Christ is and how he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, the Anointed One, Christ, Okay? And, uh, and so here he's describing, he is going to be a king and a priest. We just read that in Psalm 110. Okay, he's going to be a king and a priest. Well, what kind of priest? Well, the only priesthood they know is uh, the Aaronic priesthood. Uh, again, how many priests do we have here today? What order of priests are you? And I, I'm not trying to be clever here. I'm just, have you ever thought about it? We're not, we're not priests like Aaron, and I would, we're not priests like Melchizedek either, and you see why here in a second, amen. In a sense, we're priests unto Jesus Christ, okay? If you will, we're ministers unto Jesus Christ. We're priests unto Jesus Christ, all right? And, uh, and, and so, if you will, uh, he's talking about the priesthood that the Messiah has, and he can't have Aaron's priesthood. Why? Well, Aaron's a sinner. Aaron's a flawed person. Aaron died. And God is the one that makes the distinction here. Notice what the Bible says here. By the way, just as a thought, is Jesus still interceding for us today on the throne of God today? So he's not dead. He's very much alive. He has a very active ministry. And so in verse 6, he describes this so that they can understand that. And he says this. Uh, he says, uh, as he has said also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We just read that in Psalm 110, okay? He says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the, uh, by the things which he suffered. Uh, it says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he says this, he says, listen, he has to be uh, uh, under the, if you will, the order of Melchizedek because the order of, uh, the order of Aaron doesn't work, okay? We'll, we'll deal more with that here in a second, so just bear with me, stick with me, okay? 
Uh, and so God is the one that made the comparison. God is the one that said this is a type. Jesus is the anti-type for the type Melchizedek, okay? We'll talk about it more here in a second. Let's go back to our text real quick and, and learn from context here. Let's learn what's going on here, okay? Um, again, how many kings? Five against four. Who was the bad guy? The king from Elam. Amen. See what I did there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so uh, he's the bad guy. All right. And uh, he came, he defeated Sodom and Gomorrah and the other two kings that were with them. And he ended up taking, if you will, a lot captive. It's interesting some of the details that's in this account. Okay. You guys know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? How many of y'all believe it was real? Has anybody here ever been to Israel? I got to tell you, I would love to go to Israel to see this, just um, what area was Sodom and Gomorrah in? Well, the Bible tells us. You might know it, but the Bible tells us. Notice, first off, it's in the area around a place called the Salt Sea, okay? The Salt Sea. Look what the Bible says in in verse 3. Genesis chapter 14, verse 3, it says, And all these were joined together in the vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Now, you can imagine what the Salt Sea is today, okay? You have, if you will, the Sea of Galilee. Okay, you have the Jordan River, and it flows into the Dead Sea. They may know why they call it the Dead Sea. JVN? So nothing, there are no fish in the Dead Sea. That's right, there's no fishing industry there. Okay, anybody else why, know why it's called Dead Sea? Okay. <laughs> By the way, it's called the Salt Sea for a reason. Anybody ever been to Salt Lake? Salt Lake is a similar thing where it was a lake, okay, it became salty, and then it evaporated and left the salt remains. Today, one of the biggest industries in Israel is the mining of that salt. One of the big salts that they do is potash. Anybody know what potash is used for? Potash is used for, you ever look at your numbers on your fertilizer bag? has the three numbers. One of those numbers is potash, okay, potassium. And, uh, and so, if you will, uh, they mine that stuff like crazy for the fertilizer industry, all right? And so there's quite a bit of money, there's quite a bit of wealth in the Dead Sea today. But the big reason it's called the Dead Sea, listen now, is water comes in, but no water goes out. Water comes in, water goes out. Can I make a spiritual application? If you're a Christian, well, all you do is take, 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 and you never give, 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 give. Can I tell you, in very many ways, you're spiritually dead. Amen. Christianity ought not be about what you can get. It ought to be about what you can give. And so, if you will, it's a living illustration right there about, uh, if you will, people who take, 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 and never give. And so, if you will, today it's not called the Salt Sea. Today we call it the Dead Sea. It is also, if you don't know this, it's the lowest elevation on earth. Okay, it's, it's, the far, it's the lowest elevation on earth. By the way, someday it will have fish. And someday it will have fresh water. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. Amen? And uh, you've heard how he's going to take and he's going to make Israel, the Bible says, bloom as a rose. And I just, I, I got to tell you, that's a, I had a preacher friend of mine, that was his favorite verse in the whole Bible. Because he went to Israel all the time and he, he liked to claim that promise about Israel blooming as a rose. And it's done it in a small way today if you look at its industry, but uh, not like uh, what's going to happen when Christ comes. Notice what's also there. Look what the Bible says in verse 10. Not only is there a Dead Sea there, so it tells you the essential region where it is. The Bible says in verse 10 that there's slime pits. Y'all see that? Now, anybody know what slime is? Well, it's a cup of detergent and a cup of baking soda and a cup of... Joking. Now, more of you mothers should have laughed at that. That was funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. right. uh, what did, uh, what did uh, Noah cover his ship in? Pitch or slime, okay, if you will. And today we would call it tar. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in the Dead Sea area, even today, you can see eruptions of uh, tar pits, okay? Anybody here ever been to California for the La Brea tar pits? You've never been there? Really banking on you for that one. No? Uh, I would love to see it, by the way. But uh, they, uh, they have all kinds of these black balls. I don't know exactly what size they are, but they're black balls. And what they are, they're black balls of tar. 
that have been ejected or something like that. Uh, what's tar made from? Okay, somebody say dinosaurs and we'll move on. Amen? All right, what, what's tar made from? Huh? Dinosaurs. I'm not trying to be clever, guys. What's tar made from? Petroleum, okay? What else do we make petroleum? We make gasoline. Y'all understand that? And, uh, and so, if you will, the Bible says that it's in the Dead Sea area. It's where the slime pits are. And could you go to Genesis chapter 19 and see what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Amen. Genesis chapter 19. And look at uh, verse 24. And the Bible says, And the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. All right? And uh, if anybody's ever been to a fouled well or a stinky well, anybody here ever had a, a, a sulfur well? What's the water smell like? Rotten eggs. Rotten eggs. And you can't get away from it, okay? And, and so if you will, folks, this oil sometimes comes from a similar source, gets the same uh, contamination, and it will, what's going to happen if you light petroleum that has sulfur in it on fire? My whole point is this, folks, is, is listen, I believe Sodom and Gomorrah anyway, because God said it happened. But he gives you the details of how it happened and where it happened, and to this day, that's where they believe Sodom and Gomorrah is, is on the, is on the shores of the Dead Sea. Uh, there's one other thing that happened there. It's not in my notes, but one of, what about Lot's wife? She turned to a pillar of salt, and if you ever get to go into that area, they literally have pillars of salt everywhere. My whole point is this, guys. We've been talking about how that we can have confidence that we can know who Jesus Christ is. And folks, our Bible is full of little details that you just read over and you don't think about twice, but then you put two and two together and you go, you know what, I think God was there. I think God knows what he was talking about. Is there a difference between the book that we follow and the books that other people follow? Can I just tell you this? Other books that other people follow are only true when they copy the Bible. Amen. Okay. Book of Mormon. Why shouldn't people follow the Book of Mormon? They got two whole nations of people. Never existed. Can't dig up a fossil. Can't find archaeological remains. Why? Because it came from the imaginations of a man. Amen. But God said this, Sodom and Gomorrah happened. I rained fire and brimstone on it. Here's the elements how it could have happened. Amen. And we don't have to explain away, but it gives the evidence that our God is true and his Bible is right. We can have confidence to know that we're looking for the right Christ. Amen? And so, if you will, there's, there's much that we could... Uh, but I want to brag on Abraham for a second. Go to verse 14 back in our text. Genesis chapter 14, verse 14. You know, a lot of times whenever they show a picture of Jesus, how does he look? Huh? Sissified. He's always thin. He's always way frail. He's always got long hair. And if you ever want to do a fun study sometimes, see who the, the human models were for pictures of Jesus. You're going to find out many times, if not most of the time, that the, the model for Jesus was a woman. Okay? Why? Because they just wanted to get his softer side. Well, please take this the right way. Anybody here ever shaken somebody's hand who works with a hammer? The other day, I, listen, I, some of y'all know this, but uh, I, I work out a little bit just because I don't want to get soft. And uh, I, I want to, when people shake my hand, I want just for a moment there to be a sense of, well, we better grip this dude. <laughs> y'all with me? Okay. I, 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 I still have one of those things that goes, chick, 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 chick. you know what I'm talking about? Okay, I use it occasionally. <laughs> okay. Not because I'm trying to hurt anybody, but I just, you know, if I shake somebody's hand. Well, I was talking to this man at Lowe's this last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about designing, and he was showing me some things he had designed. I was like, man, that's neat. That's awesome. And I went to shake his hand. This man works with a hammer. And listen, I'm, I'm not ashamed of my handshake. <laughs> 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 I was squeezing back, <laughs> okay, and, and I'm like, that's a man that works with a hammer all day. Folks, Jesus Christ was no waif, thin, frail, female-looking person, amen. amen? And can I tell you this? 
You can be a man of faith and still be a man. You can be a soldier. You can be strong. We were watching y'all play basketball the other day. You can be a good athlete. It's okay. Sorry, I'm going to get personal now. It's okay for a Christian to give one of these if you need to win the game. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> now, don't take it too far. <laughs> but my whole point is okay to play hard. Okay, why? Because God doesn't expect us to be effeminate. He expects us to be men. He expects us to be women. Amen. Do you notice how I used my deep voice when I said that? Did that on purpose. Folks, do you see what the Bible says about Abraham? Somebody took his nephew and he says, I got 318 of you that owe me your whole life. Uh, he had trained them as soldiers, folks. And he says, the war is here. Now, folks, I, I don't know how many he was fighting, but can I tell you this? I bet there were more than 318. Amen. And the Bible says 318 of those went and defeated five kings. Amen. I got, I got to tell you, I'm impressed with Abraham. He was a man's man. He was a great businessman. He was a man of faith. And can I tell you this? You can be all those things and be a man of God. You can be all those things and be a man of God. And so, if you will, we see that God was the one that said this is a type. We see we, we learn a number of things from the account of Abraham. And then we also see this, that the reason that uh, Jesus had to be a uh, priest after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron is, to be quite honest with you, Melchizedek was a better priest. Okay, Go to Hebrews chapter 7. The Bible teaches us this. I would encourage you, Melchizedek is actually spoken of a lot in the book of Hebrews. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 he's spoken of. And, um, and so God's using him to teach a number of lessons to, to Israel. For sake of time, we'll just hit a few. Uh, here we go. Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verse... Uh, Look at verse 2. The Bible says this is who Melchizedek was. In verse 2, the Bible says, it says, To whom also Abraham uh, gave a tenth part of all. By the way, is there an error in your Bible? Are you sure? Because the Old Testament said Abram, and here it says Abraham. It, uh, by the way, if you're to read the account of uh, how they battled, the Bible says they battled all the way unto Dan. Well, folks, the problem is, is Dan hadn't even been born when this battle took place. Okay? Is there a mistake in your Bible? Is it easily explained? No, the person who wrote it, when he was talking about geography, knew about Dan. Easy enough to understand. There's no mistakes in your Bible. Amen? And so, if you will, he, went, he was called Abram when this happened, but he's called Abraham when this was written. And so, the Bible says, uh, again, in verse 2, it says, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. I'm sorry. I don't usually chase rabbits, but i got to chase this one. Um, how much are you supposed to tithe? Are you sure? How much are you supposed to tithe? Can I say it with conviction? You guys are all scared now. How much are you supposed to tithe? What, how do you get 10%? That's exactly right. Folks, tithe means 10%. Now, you might think this sounds funny, but I've had people ask me, how much should you tithe? And the very first person that asked me this said, you should tithe 15%. And I said, where do you get that? He says, oh, that's what my preacher says. And I said, okay. I said, where does he get 15%? And to be honest with you, he was kind of in a cultish church. And so <laughs> we'll drop it at that, okay? Uh, I've heard recently independent Baptists having this question. Not in here, not in here. But the Bible doesn't say you have to give 10%. Bible says you have to give a tithe. And by the way, you don't have to do anything. God loves a what? A cheerful giver. And if you can't give it cheerful, don't give it. Because you're not giving it as a bill. You're giving it as an opportunity to worship. I don't know how many of you all know this. Catholic Church used to. I think they might still send out bills for tithe. Do you know if they still do it? I don't think so. I know they used to. I mean, you talk to Catholics, they'd tell you they'd get a bill for their tithe. It's a bill. Well, it's not a bill. It's an opportunity to worship God. It's 10% because that's what it means. And that's why it's tithes what you should give. 
and offerings what you can give. Amen. And, and, and so if you will, I'm sorry, I had to stop there. That was one of those recent Facebook arguments that drive me nuts. Amen. By the way, I didn't take part in it. I just want you to know it's out there. <laughs> okay. The Bible also says this, that he will be a priest forever. Look what the Bible says in verse 3. The Bible says, without father, without mother. I've got to ask you a question. How many of you all think Melchizedek didn't have a mom or a dad? Let me ask you this question. How many of you all think Jesus didn't have a mom or a dad? He's clearly not talking about not having a mom or a dad. He's talking about his priesthood is not based on his genealogy. Because the very next thing it talks about in this says, because clearly Jesus is from the tribe of Judah and no priest is spoken of in the tribe of Judah. Context, context, context. Amen? And so don't get hung up on little things like this. Not without father and mother. What's that mean? It just means that he's not claiming his priesthood by his family genealogy. Amen. The Bible says next, it says, uh, uh, it says uh, uh, without descent, okay, no genealogy again, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. How many of y'all think Melchizedek didn't have beginning of days? And having said that, it's, you could think into it maybe, and I'll explain it here in a second. But here's the whole point. He's, he's talking about this. God says, I'm not telling you when his priesthood started. And by the way, it says, nor end of life. His priesthood didn't end when he died. Y'all see that? And by the way, Jesus, of course, didn't. He died and he rose again. Jesus Christ is very much alive today. But the Bible says this, but made like unto the Son of God. Get a hold of this. He's saying he's a type. Don't make it say more than it says but let it explain what it means. Why? He's saying this. Later in this text, he says this. He says, Melchizedek was a higher priest than Aaron because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And if you go all the way down to verse uh, 17, look what the Bible says in verse 17. No, that's not it. Keep going. Uh, go back up. I'll find it here in a second. What I'm looking for is the, the greater is, the less is blessed. There we go, verse 7. Look at verse 7, y'all see it? The Bible says, and without all con contradiction, the less is blessed of the, what's the Bible say? So who blessed who? Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and Abraham was the grandfather of Aaron. Y'all see that? Okay, or great-grandfather, however far it is. Okay, and so he's saying this. He says, listen, even then, Melchizedek was a higher-rated priest. Why? Because Aaron paid tithes to him. He didn't pay tithes to Aaron. Amen. So he's just saying this. He is of a higher uh, priesthood. Not one uh, from genealogy, but just from virtue of who he is. He is the king of peace. By the way, is, God, is Jesus the king of peace? Absolutely. He'll be the king of Jerusalem someday. And so, if you will, all these ways of recognizing Christ. Now, I know that we kind of went at this in a roundabout way. Okay? But someday, there's going to be somebody on this earth, and we're going to be gone. One of our purposes is to be salt and light in the world. What is the purpose of salt, essentially? That's right, killing slugs. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, but salt does kill germs, diseases, rottenness. You all with me? Okay. And so if somebody came this next week and says, I am the Christ, what would everybody in this room tell their friends? Has anybody lived at a time when somebody said, I am Christ? If you lived in the 80s, there was a man, uh, they called him uh, the Lord Matriah. And he was somewhere in India or something like that. And he was sitting up in some hill and he was the Christ. And he was going to be introduced as the new age savior someday. They were calling him the Messiah. Amen. And uh, folks, some of y'all remember there was a preacher down in Mexico recently that was saying he was the Messiah. Amen. And folks, all you got to do is go, eh, the Messiah is not coming out of Mexico. By the way, that didn't take long, did it? Uh, uh, by the way, not coming out of India. 
okay? Uh, where's he coming out of? Well, we can have that conversation at another time. My whole point is this, folks. We know because we have this book, and all we got to do is when God says, my Messiah is going to be like this, we got to go. By the way, does Jesus fit the priest after the order of Melchizedek? That looks like Jesus. That, come on. That, that looks like Jesus. Amen. You say, well, he, he's after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to look at other types, you know, in the future. But the whole point is this, is we can take and we can look at that and we say, no, you're, you're not the Messiah. By the way, how do we know who the Messiah is going to be? This one's easy. Come on, guys. How are we going to know? We're going to be with him. <laughs> Amen. Okay, but here's the deal. And, and here's what breaks my heart. They got the same book. And you know what we've done in our schools today? Don't bring that into the classroom. Can I tell you this? I think the Bible could help us to understand where all those dinosaurs came from. Huh? Y'all know you're living with dinosaurs today, right? Who are the dinosaurs today? Does anybody know? But anybody was spiritual enough to go get one of those high-priced cookies when the dinosaurs came to town? Am I the only one? <laughs> they had a velociraptor. I don't even know what a velociraptor is. It's a small Tyrannosaurus rex. Okay? And it had feathers all down its back. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all think that the lizards back before the time of Noah had feathers on their back? And some of you are going, well, I'm not sure. I'm going to let you in a little secret, folks. Lizards don't have feathers. I'm walking through there, and I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, I wonder how many people are buying this nonsense. Because that's what it is. It's nonsense. Well, no, all our... Folks, you're walking around in dinosaurs because they teach the children today that the, that the dinosaurs turned into birds. If you call me a liar, go, go, go look it up. You'll find out I'm right. Amen. How in the world? And it's all because they said, we don't want that book in the classroom. Why? Because people laugh at us when we teach people that dinosaurs turned into birds. They laugh at us when we say that the earth is millions and billions of years old. They laugh at us when we say that, oh, you don't, you don't need to go to church. Amen. And the sad truth is they're going to laugh until they say, that guy will give us food. That guy will give us safety. What do I got to do to get it? Hey, all you got to do is take a number. And it's all because they simply wouldn't look at the picture that God paints over and over and over again, saying he looks like this, he's going to talk like this, he's going to do miracles like this. Amen? And they're going to go, let's follow him. And they're going to follow him right to their destruction. Folks, every time you read your Bible, do the best you can to see Jesus there, and you might be amazed how many times you see Jesus there. Ain't God good? Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to sing 364 in the blue. Maybe you got a friend that believes some of that nonsense, and you don't want to get in an argument.